Welcome to Season 4 of the Star Center Talks Workforce Success Podcast. I'm today's host, Alex Rowling, Training Specialist at the Association of Clinicians for the Underserved. In this fourth season, we've been focusing on ways organizations support their employees and empower them to address and prevent the challenges of compassion fatigue and burnout. Creating workspaces that foster resiliency and well-being is critical to building and retaining a strong, compassionate workforce, and we're hearing about a variety of approaches to doing that. Today, I'm joined by three wonderful guests from the Ohio Association of Community Health Centers. I'd like to welcome Brooke Sims, Director of Integrated Health, Carrie Farquhar, Director of Workforce Development, and Dr. Dana Valingen, Chief Medical Officer. Thank you all for being here today. I'd love for folks to hear a little more about your backgrounds and work at OACHC. Brooke, do you mind starting? Hi, I am the Director of Integrated Health here at OACHC. I am also a licensed professional clinical counselor and a registered art therapist. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having us. I'm Carrie Farquhar, Director of Workforce Development. I've been with OACHC for about four years, and prior to that, I worked in public health for about 30 years. And in Ohio, we administer a statewide health professions education and training program. It's in its eighth year. That's kind of our signature program. And in addition, we provide support and technical assistance to health centers in the area of workforce, including training, uh, data collection, and reporting. Hi, thanks for having us on the show. Um, I'm Dana Valangin, and uh, I have been at the Ohio Association for about three and a half years in the role of Chief Medical Officer, and um, that role really works to support all of the providers and clinicians in health centers across the state. Um, As far as my background, I'm a family physician and an addiction medicine specialist, and I founded a health center in Columbus and was the CEO and provider there for about 18 years and then worked at a substance use disorder treatment facility here in Columbus for um, about a year and a half as their medical director prior to coming to the association. Thank you. Really exciting to have three people with such tremendous backgrounds here with us today. To start off, I wanted to ask you at your organization and at your health centers, what workforce challenges are you specifically seeing with respect to burnout, compassion fatigue, and just generally maintaining wellness amongst staff? Alex, this is Carrie. Thanks. That's a great question. And, you know, the workforce challenges that we're seeing, they're real. They've been very difficult for health centers in Ohio, but they're really not different from what other health centers and really healthcare systems in general have experienced. Um, Health centers are struggling with recruiting and retaining providers. They were even before COVID, but during COVID, it became even more difficult. Health centers are reporting that they have higher rates of turnover, that there's incredible competition with other healthcare systems for the limited staff. You know, others are providing sign-on bonuses and increased pay, and it's it's made very competitive. Uh, Providers have retired. They've left clinical practice. And clinical support staff, such as medical and dental assistants, have also been leaving for other jobs, such as Amazon and fast food and other employers that offer similar pay, but can offer more flexible work hours. And some staff have left to stay home just because of the childcare challenges that they've experienced. 
And so we're finding that filling the increased vacancies has been really challenging in the face of a, a smaller workforce available to fill those shortages. And that those who continue to work in the health centers are finding themselves stretched very thin. They're trying to cover for vacant positions as well as their regular workload. So they're working longer hours and they're just not seeing relief in the near future. And this, this long-term increased demand on our healthcare providers and staff has contributed to an increase in burnout and compassion fatigue. And you know, we know that people can rise to that challenge for short periods of time, but when it becomes the norm, it takes a toll. And um, the toll is in terms of their personal health and wellness. And as we know, it's hard to take care of others if we're not taking care of ourselves first. So healthcare staff, you know, may start to show signs of hopelessness or anxiety and depression. And we need, we need to be addressing these challenges and help individuals how they can take care of themselves and that it's important for them to take the time to do that. And we have to be supportive of that. So at the same time, leadership needs to be developing or identifying ways that they can help alleviate those sources of stress. And uh, they need things that the healthcare system creates, such as the time that providers need to spend recording treatment in the patient record. So basically, the factors that contribute to burnout uh, are multifactorial. You know, it's individual, it's the system, and the approach to addressing these challenges has to be multifaceted too to be effective. There's really no single approach to solving the problem of burnout and compassion fatigue. Yeah, I would just, this is Dana, and I would just weigh in um, uh, to echo what Carrie's saying. Um, we have um, clinician calls and CMO leadership calls. Um, you know, everybody is definitely expressing a sense of fatigue at this point, like an actual physical fatigue, as well as kind of that uh, work and compassion and mission fatigue. Um, so I, I think that would be kind of the most ubiquitous um, thing for staff that are uh, in health centers right now. Um, they're tired and maybe a little bit less engaged. Absolutely. And you mentioned leadership calls. What do you see as the specific role leadership can play as far as trying to help staff recover resiliency and build well-being, especially after the past couple of years? Yeah, I think the leadership role is huge. It really all starts there. As far as leadership have to see it as a priority, they have to call it out and be willing to recognize kind of the state of where everything is and where their workforce is, not be afraid to measure it so that we can really see if interventions and strategies are making improvements or not, and be willing even with the priority status to fund a wellness position maybe for the first time in the health center. So I think that the leadership role is huge. We recognized that um, with Brooke's arrival at our organization, and I'm going to let her talk a little bit about, because we recognized how important it was, some of the stigma-free work that we've been doing to really, first of all, help health center leaders recognize the importance of creating a stigma-free workplace that normalizes the fact that many of us are struggling with mental health and or substance use issues. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Dana. Um, to add to that, I think it's really a common misconception that burnout is 100% uh, the individual's 
responsibility to change or to to do something about. Um, like Dr. Dana said, I think we believe that organizations must, you know, make addressing this a priority and really have a top-down approach with their leadership um, teams. Um, and so what Dr. Dana was speaking to with our stigma-free uh, initiatives, we actually partnered with NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, and adopted their stigma-free company initiative. Um, first within OACHC internally. Um, we really took the, we have to practice what we preach approach first. Um, and NAMI, uh, d- the definition of uh, a stigma-free company is a company with a culture of openness, acceptance, and understanding about employees' overall health and wellness. And so internally at OACHC, we really um, increased a lot of our wellness activities that we offer our internal staff. We increased our education during our monthly meetings. Um, We actually have a stigma-free little section at all of our monthly all-staff meetings where we go over a specific topic each month together. And then me coming onto this team, I really advocated for an addition of an employee assistance program that we didn't have in place before. And now I'm really excited to say that we do. So we really started with our our approach internally and embodied NAMI's definition of what a stigma-free company is first. And then we were able to take that information and all of the resources that NAMI has provided us to create a stigma-free toolkit for our members. And we've also held trainings for our members. Um, But like I said earlier, we we really focused on a top-down approach first. So this toolkit and these trainings were all centered around the importance of eliminating stigma first in the workplace to promote employee wellness. Um, And so that's been our our big project here that we uh, were super excited to launch. And then now we're currently working on a second edition of that toolkit and trainings to take it to the next level or the next step, which is focusing on stigma-free patient care. So we really uh, think that internally you have to start so then you can make wider, more active approaches to the communities that we serve. Wow, very cool. And can I ask you to describe a little more the stigma-free session and some of those wellness activities that you mentioned? Yeah. So internally, some of the wellness activities, uh, like I shared earlier, I'm also a licensed professional clinical counselor and a registered art therapist. So our OACHC team have started bi-weekly Breathe with Brooke <laughs> sessions, we call them. And it's not therapy or anything like that. It's an opportunity for our staff to connect together. We started this when we were still primarily virtual and not being in the office together. And there was a lot of disconnect. So I wanted to bring this to our organization to just connect connect again, talk about things, be humans together. And so that's something we did internally. And then um, a little bit more about the efforts externally with our members of our health centers. We did trainings on really what even is stigma? How does that affect our employees? I think, you know, we hear a lot of anti-stigma campaigns and how we should be treating patients, but we saw a real kind of miss of we have to start internally with our own work environments and our own workplaces to make sure that the employees that are serving these patients also feel safe and not stigmatized and feel like they're supported in their work. So we brought a lot of information to them, statistics. We met with the CEOs of our health centers to really hopefully drive the importance of this so that our health centers can also make this a priority. And Alex, this is Dr. Dana. I think one of the things that I've learned across the years is that it's important for not only leadership to own this, but leadership to model it, right? And to be able to 
be authentic and vulnerable and to like even yourself as a leader, it's okay to not be okay and to um, show some vulnerability about struggles or things that are going on for you to help normalize that across the organization that we know everybody's dealing with stresses and things outside of work as well as in work. And we want it to be a safe space and a place that um, people can come to work and um, be authentic. Uh, I think the other thing that I was going to state is that it's also, I think, uh, important to help everybody continue to understand the connection of mission to what they're doing daily. And that's another thing that our organization, I think we are attempting to focus internally here on helping uh, us start uh, meetings with a mission moment or thinking about how the things we do as the PCA connect to health center mission and patient care. But it's also, I think, really important at the health center level. So we, on our leadership CMO call, have a mission moment where either myself or other uh, clinical leaders, CMOs, share about a patient story that's impacted them and why the work that they're doing at the health center matters. And not that that's an antidote for fatigue and uh, stress, but it does, I think, provide an element of helping to reconnect to that mission and enhancing the importance of what we're doing. Absolutely. And I really like uh, what you mentioned there, what I call calling out the wins. I feel like it can be really easy, especially in healthcare, to overlook the victories and focus too much on the challenges or the things we can't do. Um, but, uh, yeah, making sure to focus on what we've succeeded in doing, I think is really important. And I also really love it's okay to not be okay. That's very true. And I think worthy of reiteration. So really good points. And since we've talked about some of the broader approaches to wellness, as you mentioned earlier, wellness looks different for different people. So how do you attempt to address that variety of needs that different staff have uh, for maintaining their well-being? I can take a crack at that question. I think, you know, it is, uh, first of all, having the focus on priority, as we've talked about, and shifting maybe some of the culture or paradigm. But then it does um, come down to how do we build into each of our team's team members' resiliencies. You know, everybody's at a different spot and that spot changes continually. And it's not that resiliency, again, is a one-size antidote um, for burnout and compassion fatigue or that it's the person's issue at all. But it is definitely important and studies have shown how important building into resiliency can be as part of a solution to improving wellness and workplace environment and just burnout. So we have been journeying down that path for the last couple of years here at the association. Resiliency and increasing that internal person capacity was one area that we tested and we tested several uh, system and external factors because it's important, I think, to be thinking about what can we do in the system to help with everybody's well-being, as well as enhancing the resiliency of each team member over where they are currently. The resiliency work actually led us to Ohio State College of Nursing has done a lot of work and research in this area and has developed a mind-body-strong curriculum 
that is specific for nurses and healthcare professionals. We adapted that with them to actually uh, be specific for providers and health centers and health center teams and tested it. And it was actually amazing to see the improvements in depression, anxiety, work satisfaction, work stress, perceived stress scores for the participants in that little tiny um, cohort of eight to nine providers at that one health center. Because of those positive results and because we feel like a kind of mind-body-strong process is pretty cost-effective as well as pretty scalable and doable for health centers, we're now in a process of uh, allowing health centers, all of the health centers in Ohio, to check that out and make a decision about whether they want to get approval, basically, to have facilitators trained and then teach the class on an ongoing basis. The curriculum is very intuitively, um, like it's not revolutionary curriculum, it's about self-care. It's about the importance of sleep, the importance of nutrition, the importance of physical activity, while at the same time coupling some self-cognitive behavioral therapy to recognize negative patterns of thinking and help the, or the participant gain uh, self-awareness and increase positive self-talk and uh, reframing of thinking. And so we're super excited to see how uh, health centers adopt this and fold it into kind of their uh, life cycle in their organization. Wow, that sounds really terrific and, and sounds like a good training program. I think there's a lot to be gained from a kind of teaching people to teach and, and with imbuing those skills, I think probably also helps people to, to practice them for themselves as well. Yeah, I'll refer back to something Brooke said related to the Breathe with Brooke that she has done internally within our PCA. I think there's some of that same thing going on with this resiliency training at the health center level. It's an opportunity for a smaller group to come together on a regular basis and share and kind of develop that intimacy that familiar know more about each other and the struggles they're facing maybe be more forgiving <laughs> in the middle of a clinical day when things don't go well um i think they also know that they're part of a group and they hold each other accountable so there are a lot of kind of intangible maybe benefits to meeting periodically. I know that a health center that did this on their own said that they have the first cohort continues to meet. It's a seven-week uh, training session that we did, but uh, they continue to meet periodically just to hold each other accountable and to share those successes and challenges. So there, there's a lot. I mean, the training itself is important. And you know, I hear my four-year-old and eight-year-old grandchildren practicing some of the same techniques deep breathing when the four-year-old gets frustrated, the eight-year-old's practicing positive self-talk already. And so I think it's clear that we all need to learn and practice self-care at all levels and at all ages. It's, it's not something someone singled out for. It's something we all benefit from. Wellness works for people of all ages. That's great. Um, so taking this out to kind of apply to our listeners, do you have any tips or thoughts for other PCAs or health centers who are on this path or want to start down this path of building a robust, all-encompassing wellness program for their staff? I think it is to think about the fact that coupling uh, enhancing resiliency with something, whatever that something intervention looks like, 
along with uh, identifying an extrinsic factor that's fueling um, lack of wellness or burnout, um, like kind of thinking about that internal external factor and how can you go after it kind of combined would be one tip. Um, for our external factor here that we've identified in Ohio, um, there's uh, some momentum around scribing to reduce kind of the documentation burden. Um, so I, I think that's tip one. Tip two is look for like low hanging fruit. There might be something that is um, pretty amenable to uh, something that you can impact quickly um, and that doesn't take a lot of um, organizational change or a lot of money or dollars behind it. My other big thing is you gotta measure it. Like we, we have to not be afraid to measure um, staff engagement and or burnout. Measuring it kind of allows us then to have uh, benchmarking and a way to uh, look at uh, impact of interventions. Um, so measuring it, that's mm. part of making it a priority. Can you talk a little bit more about measurement and, and kind of how you have, have used measurement or, or how you would recommend people kind of start to, to measure the impact of those programs? Sure. Um, yeah, with our health center controlled network here in Ohio, with that emphasis through HRSA on provider burden, we actually did some research and work on a provider burden tool. And the short answer is basically the mini Z is the tool that rose to the top as um, most practical and most mobile. It's a relatively short inventory. Um, and it can be done regularly by providers. Um, and that coupled potentially with a little bit of an EHR burden assessment can go a long way to helping you figure out if you're moving the needle in the right direction, especially at a provider or a clinical level. Hmm, very interesting. And do you mind saying the name of the burnout tool one more time? Sure. It's the mini Z, as in zebra. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that, that does sound like a, because yeah, the, the first thing is you got to kind of assess where you are before you start implementing things. Yeah, and I can speak a little bit more to some some tips and advice uh, for other people in this space. I think, you know, we know that mental health concerns like burnout and compassion fatigue, when they aren't addressed, the symptoms experienced as a result can cause many challenges in the workplace. So as we've been saying, I think multiple times here in this discussion, the leaders in the organization have an ability, but also an obligation to create a supportive and healthy environment, just as we would for our patients and communities. We know that well-supported employees do better work. So organizational changes should really include education and support for our employees, also transparency uh, in conversations uh, to create a culture of trust, and then providing access to, to care uh, through EAPs, through benefits packages, and then also implementing guidelines, creating policies that protect a work-life balance and providing flexible work practices. So when you're doing those assessments of where you're at, we should also be looking into our current workflows that we have, our current policies as a company that we have, and see where our strengths are, but also see where we can have additions to make us even stronger. Because all of that really fosters hope and optimism. Uh, it then creates effective workflows, higher employee satisfaction, career joy, which then really illuminates back to our communities that we serve. And then to my, my other caveat that I, I think I have to speak on is that we talk about 
and promote integrated health because we know it works. And so that's no different in this space or with this topic. We really have to focus on integration and remind ourselves that we are all whole people. Um, we all have to remember our goals and our passions and values we have because we're in the business of helping people, but we are also people who need help too. And so we got to eliminate the silos in our teams and work together to collaborate across all of our teams, because without that full integration, there will always be a missing piece that impacts wellness rather than an opportunity to foster and promote wellness. Hmm. Wellness is a collective, collaborative and integrated process. Very interesting and really good advice, I think. I think those have all been a great mix of the broad view of approaching wellness with some very achievable activities and starting points. But I wanted to ask, is there anything else you would like to add that you feel is unique to OACHC or the Ohio Health Centers or something that you feel has worked especially well for you or even something that going forward you're looking into implementing as a next step? I think that some of the work we have done is unique, and I think listening to it could be intimidating. Um, Dr. Vlachin and Brick have done some great work in Ohio. Uh, so one thing I would say is don't be overwhelmed. Um, you know, start small, start simple. And when Dr. Vlachin and I participated in the IHI Joy in Work the first thing, one of the things we learned was to start with the question, what matters to you? And that sounds so simple, but it's so important because otherwise we could be making a decision for the staff in terms of what we think they need and implementing it and finding totally off target. And what they need or want could be a major, you know, a major organizational change. And it could be ordering different writing pens I'm a left-handed person. I can appreciate that. So uh, you know, just a pen that works for my hand would be phenomenal. So it, it can just be what they call pebble in your shoe kinds of things. But then respond and try to meet that need. And if it's not something that can be met, given the constraints, be transparent and share why it can't be met. And then you know discuss other changes, other things that might help alleviate the issues. So I think my point would be don't be overwhelmed, um, but start with a simple question, what matters to you, and see what you can do to address those issues. I love that point. Uh, start with what matters to you or your organization, and also that it can be something very small, something very doable, like your example with the pens. I think that is just a tremendous amount of information uh, in one podcast, and you all three have been just absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom with us. I think you're doing amazing work for your health centers in Ohio and all of their staff. And you've shared so much that we can all take and use going forward. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a privilege to be with you. I've enjoyed the conversation. Yes, I echo that. Thank you for uh, creating a space to have conversations like this. Thanks, Alex. You did a great job. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you to everyone out there for listening in today. One more time, I want to thank the fantastic team at the Ohio Association of Community Health Centers for sharing their thoughts and wisdom with us. Be sure to check out all of our free workforce tools and resources 
found at chcworkforce.org. And if you haven't already, you can find more fantastic insights on wellness and workforce in the other episodes of our Star Center Talks Workforce Success Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.